and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. What's happening everyone and welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm your host this week, I'm Derek Kernahan and today we are discussing the best wrestling eras of the past 30 years or so. Um, now before I introduce this panel I've got in front of me, um, you know that you can find us on all good social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Suplex Retweet um, as well. Also, can't get enough of us, we have some more amazing content at our Suplex Retweet Exa, go and check that out as well guys. Now, the panel, let's go on to these guys here. First of all, this guy makes David Hockney look like a shagger. It's Jack Graham. How you doing, buddy? Sing. Fuck, I love your prick. Lost for words. <laughs> you lost for words. How you doing, mate? You alright? Not good now. <laughs> Not good now. He's went, he's went and took the girls for air, you know what I mean? <laughs> good man, I'm glad you're here, mate, anyway. Thanks very much for having me. Good man. Good man. Next up is my Devon to my bubba. It's Ollie's least favourite ring announcer still. It's Quacky Aji. Yes, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> How are you, mate? You alright? I'm not bad yourself. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Um, up next is Gary Kernahan's biggest fan, other than Gary Kernahan himself. <laughs> it's the myth, the man, the legend, it's David Campbell. You know, it's Ooh. absolutely 100% true what you say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have notes for the show, I have a notes of things that Gary Kernahan, you know, has done successfully. It's <laughs> <laughs> filled up the entire book, but I won't, I won't divulge the information yeah. here. How are you, mate? You well? I, I, I'm doing alright, not got the coronavirus yet, always a plus. That is a plus none of us here have it as well which is well Jack might have it but nah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jack's got something down here yeah. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> he's probably got swine flu <laughs> that's like that's like that's like a, like a, like a green card and you come in it's like go <laughs> um, and last but not least he is the skeletor to my he-man <laughs> the dolph to my otis <laughs> oh. <laughs> the bastard Gary Kerlin, Gary, how are you? Did I steal Mandy Rose from you? I wish you did. <laughs> uh, I, I'm okay, Derek. This is going to be an emotional show. Um, this could be the last time I'm on ESSR with the goat. Sad I'm times. going to try it and hold, hold myself together. Yeah, you did have a show. big embrace when David walked into the room earlier as yeah. well. That's yeah. friendship right and there. And Jack's turned up with a bottle of tish- box of tissues. <laughs> this, I don't know why, but they might come in handy to try my tears. I thought we were having a celebration. <laughs> 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 no, not the last time you celebrate with tissues. Is that what every man does? No. <laughs> <laughs> Great quality content in the yeah. SSR, as back always. Back, so I might actually have a <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, guys, for today, we are going to be discussing, um, the panellists are going to be discussing our best parts of the last 30 or so years to discuss the best the best eras. Um, and since I'm hosting, I've decided to go first. You're selfish, I'm So, what I'm going to be discussing. My favourite um, era is late 80s, 90s WWF. The classic era. The classic era. Now, this is going to be really is that short. Name? Yeah, if oh, you look up on Wikipedia, that's the what they define classic. it as. <laughs> now, this is going to be a really short intro because the only people who were alive when this was happening was me and Gary. <laughs> 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 um, 
You should do a quiz with Jack. That's what we should do. <laughs> I try it. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. We have a few. There, are, there is a few bits that we're going to have a have a chat about. So, um, one of the reasons why I like it is, um, in my opinion, it put um, wrestling on the forefront in terms of WWF. It was the Vince, you know, just getting the company. It was going. It was going well. We had massive superstars like Hulk Hogan when he was a good guy before everything that happened. You know, he was a American Dream um, with Ultimate Warrior. These guys were massive during that time as well but um, one of the other things that I like about this time was tag team wrestling was actual tag teams it's not two people mixed together like we found particularly only last week the two tag teams and Raw and Smackdown were two singles competitors put together in each division yeah. you know if you mm-hmm. think about the tag teams that we had then with Legion of Doom amazing Demolition The Hearts Bushwhackers The Mounties as well the rockers the powers of pain the powers of pain the nasty boys as well we had so many good oh, the powers of pain. <laughs> <laughs> so many. it took you a minute there yeah they did, they did um, so many good tag teams and they were actual tag teams as well which I feel like now we're getting storylines with two guys put together we don't really know what to do with um, and tag teams that weren't out of place anywhere on the card people wouldn't have complained then if the show closed with the Legion of Doom yeah. they were massive massive draws mm-hmm. guys like that the Demolition who were one of my favourite tag teams as well they, was it one of the Rumbles what Rumble was it they two 89 they, they were one, one, one and two, two I think and it the was. two of them just went at it for uh-huh. you know that two minutes it was brilliant David Yes. Tag teams. <laughs> tag teams, like, that's one of the things I think we're talking about. Every era we're going to talk about today has its specific strengths. And one of the things we are looking at these tag teams is they all have clear, defined, larger than life gimmicks that you can get behind. I think that's a problem for talking about maybe today's wrestler or even ruthless aggression era wrestling, that you don't have these tag teams who I know what they stand for, I know what their character is, and I'm mm-hmm. excited to see them. Every tag team from that era had a definitive look. You had the Legion of Doom with the spikes yep. and the face paint and demolition you know like sort of don't know kiss tribute act I don't yeah. know how you describe demolition but I think that's the strength of the tag teams of the era what you're talking about Derek yeah. is they're clear characters who you can get behind and just like dress up as and it's larger than life and it's brilliant yeah the gimmick thing I'm going to come on to in a minute that was a good point though I'm yeah. going, to, going to that in a minute um, one of the things that really spoke out to me as well was my opinion one of the best belts that the WWE have is Intercontinental belt mm-hmm. and then that belt meant something whereas now I don't feel like it did it was a logical step for wrestlers when me and Gary were watching when we were younger guys to have the IC title get it have it for a while lose it and go on to the heavyweight side of things now and I feel like they don't do that Jack what do you think about that? Yeah like back then it was always kind of a clear sign like progression of what was happening whereas now you seem to just kind of have your world title division your intercontinental title division and whatnot. Mm-hmm. it's kind of no really kind of Progression between the two years kind of thrown into something and that's it so from that point I prefer it to back then because there's always kind of a clear goal in mind oh I need to get this to get to that where some folk just think oh I just want this and they're just happy with that there's no really kind of sign of going up from where they are yeah yeah. you could could not imagine now a major show happening which draws 80 90,000 people where the main event is for the Intercontinental Championship yeah. that happened in 1992 with Bret Hart and the British Bulldog, Bulldog yeah. for the Intercontinental title and then you look back at some of the names you mentioned mentioned the Ultimate Warrior he had a good run with the Intercontinental title Savage before he moved into the well. picture Savage 
Brett the Hitman Hart, yep. great Intercontinental Champion before he moved on to be yep. the World Champion. It was a testing point as well. Can these people carry be carry the title? And quite often in the house shows for the WWF back in those days, Hogan would if he worked them as the champion did like the first half main event so he could get up the road before it got too late yeah Um, and the Intercontinental title match went on as the main event quite often yeah Campbell do you agree with Matt thinking about the IC title it's 100% something I agree with it's something I was going to bring up and especially when you look at the people that it made and became synonymous with the Intercontinental title because a lot of the criticisms of this era are it was great for characters not great for work rate however if you look at the Intercontinental title scene then that can be further from the truth you have guys like Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat like putting on classics and clinics before the time for work rate was really prevalent you have guys and then obviously in the other sides of the spectrum you do have great characters holding that belt look at the honky tonk man with a record that still stands to this day and the reason it's successful was because something good about this era in general not just the IC title is they were given the chance to have these long title reigns so it meant something so by the time the honky tonk was defeated it's built up a new star and it feels important and that's something this era does very well not just with the IC title but all their title belts feel like they meant something at this time that's a really great point Campbell because if you look at some of the great matches from this era you mentioned Savage and Steamboat which people still hold up Bret Hart missed the perfect at SummerSlam was a great match which I think still stands the test of time there's some really some of the big matches that's come to mind from that stage aren't necessarily the world title matches in terms of work late Andre and Hogan is there as a, an attraction it was a moment it felt like a big deal it wasn't a good match yeah what, what, what annoys me I'd say that with like the kind of the era of now is like when there's like a IC title feud or US title feud they'll make reference to the kind of great matches that have happened before but then there's kind of no real storyline or kind of mean to what that match is in place now and it's a, it makes it seem in a, in a bit like a kind of throwaway yeah mm-hmm that's the thing it wasn't necessarily a mid-card title nope. back at that time it was just the title that Hulk Hogan wasn't holding yeah. you know so it was like <laughs> it was something for the rest of the card to do so it meant that the names holding the IC title were naturally bigger rather than have a big pool of guys feuding for it it was Hogan and the Monster of the Week that were yeah. feuding for the WWE title mm-hmm. definitely definitely one of the things that you mentioned um, David is I want to discuss is the gimmick wrestling which was very big at this time now, Jack, you're the you're the baby here, so I'm going to do a wee, I'm going to do a wee quiz with you, right? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself, run. <laughs> Can you? Do you know who the clown gimmick was? Doink. Yes, yes. good man. Right, okay, that was. Oh no! <laughs> do you know who the dentist was? No. Except for Brett Baker, but I'm for that, I can't tell you. Gary. Well, oh, did Campbell, do you know? Isaac Yankum. Yeah, well, some of these are technically fallen over into a different era. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah now you're trying to get them. <laughs> <laughs> some of these are falling into the, the new generation. Semantics. Isaac Yankum. Jerry Lawler's personal dentist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're in the waiting room and you're like, Dr. Yankum will see them. No, I'll rather pass. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> If you, if, if you haven't seen the vignettes that introduce Isaac Yakum DDS, you should go watch them. Yeah. Never mind these great matches we've been telling you about so far. Don't don't dig into the WWE Network to see Ricky Steamboat <laughs> and Match Man. Look at how Isaac Yakum was introduced. <laughs> it's kind of like when uh, Vitaly Klitschko's nickname was the Dr. Iron Fist. <laughs> 
as long as I didn't name you what to hear or if you're going for a prostate exam. <laughs> <laughs> Need some of Jack's cream. Some other gimmicks. The millionaire. Oh, give you oh, million dollar what, what man. A gimmick. What a gimmick. What was the ones? Um, the one he done in one of the shows where he threw. He was taking a kid. I remember when he beat people he would get the money and put them and shove it into their throats yeah so good as well I wish I had money just to do that just cause not even that I want to do it it's just I have the ability to do that if I had that kind of money even like there was um, The Undertaker starting back then as well you know he's probably the only one that's probably kept the gimmick obviously he's changed that a few times throughout the years which we've discussed as well as well there was um, a barber Brutus yeah. Brutus by beefcake. Brutus beefcake. Uh, I was telling uh, my six-year-old son about Brutus the Barber beefcake. Yeah. Uh, and how he would beat people. Do you anybody remember his finishing hold? Oh no. Sleeper hold. Was it? A move that you could put somebody in and they'd literally fall asleep after about a week. Yeah. Uh, so he would beat them with it so he could cut their hair. Yeah. After the match, <laughs> I say uh, that's another great thing about this era, though, is that because it was simpler in a simpler style they were doing more moves were given the ability to get over as like proper match ending finishing moves because now we've got seven people in the main roster of WWE who are hitting out like sunset flip power bombs and uh, like what is it Panama Sunrises Um, and it's no the finish no the finish to a match back then you had people putting on chicken wings and, <laughs> <laughs> and winning world titles you know so well I was watching NXT just the, just the other day and there was a, a spot in it where Eddie Dennis does a razor's edge to Trent Seven over the barricade and he lands on the steel steps and uh, devastating looking move he kicked out at two yeah you know what have you got to do in some of these matches to, yeah. to, to beat somebody yeah. it's like gift of coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there was there was loads of loads of different ones. Um, ladies man and Rick Rude uh, as yeah. well. That's a great gimmick to this day, and that's the thing. The undercard was amazing back then. Like Rude, Jake the Snake, all these guys yeah. who were never world champions. Yeah, and that's that's a huge thing. Like, can you imagine that now? There'd be uproar. The Twitter community would be a blast. How is Rick Rude not being given the world title yet in WWE? But back then, it was just par for the course. Some amazing people we've mentioned that were never world champion. Teddy Biasi, mm-hmm. never the world champion. I don't care when he bought the belt off. Yeah, we don't care that. <laughs> Uh, don't count Jake to it, the so. Snake, um, Piper, Roddy Piper, Piper um, so many so of them. Mr. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Piper was my next one. Doink. A Scotsman from America, but uh, you would have got that straight away yeah. as well. And the, the thing about it is, is, lots of these gimmick are paved the way for people to do things. Like Rick Rude has paved the way now, I think, for Velveteen Dream a bit with his, with yeah. his outfits. Mm-hmm. The way he's going from there. Finn Balor with the Demon. Yeah. even Wyatt with The Fiend as well mm-hmm. these gimmick wrestling have paved the way for these guys to sort of do this mm-hmm. as well and that's just one of the reasons why this is probably one of my favourite eras of all time you make a strong case Derek thank you, you make a strong case. thank you Campbell thank you Jack very much agrees yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yep. so actually talking about Jack it's your turn next Jack so this is 
this era was the kind of the era that I first started watching wrestling. It was the era that I spent most of my dissertation year focusing on. It's the ruthless aggression era. The time where like obviously you're kind of mainstays of now, like your John Cena's and your Randy Orton. This is the the coming of age kind of moment now coming into the limelight with John Cena coming out like Kurt Angle and saying, oh, what's your reason for coming here and exactly that, ruthless aggression. You had your kind of Orton coming up through evolution and whatnot. It's that I think this was a very good time for character development amongst these kind of folks. I think that was something that always stayed with me and the kind of out there storylines a bit as well. Yeah. It was it was a time they sorely needed after the Attitude Era because for a while they were banking on the Attitude Era stars and mid-carders yeah. from like WCW coming over and making a splash. Like you had the failure of Scott Steiner coming over. Uh, you had the travesty with Booker T losing at Mania. So you didn't you weren't really building up new guys. And it was in the ruthless aggression era that they were able to make big mega stars again. Yeah. Cena, Orton, Edge, Mysterio all these guys rising to the top main events of the card and really making, giving people a reason to buy tickets to a WWE event again. Yeah, and let's think about those names that Campbell said there, Gary. They're still about to this day and they're still doing amazing jobs. I mean, Orton this week, I think that's one of the best things that's been a um, RKO. Oh, it's it's yeah. brilliant. I mean, one of the things that was so great about that is less is more. We were touching on this a little bit. If you don't see a suicide dive six times in Raw, something's wrong. Yeah. Um, back in the era we were just talking about, somebody did a suicide dive. Oh my God. The DQ, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> WCW would have been yeah. for them all. Uh, but this era, the Ruthless Aggression era, there was a lot of uh, spray and prey happening. They were throwing lots of stuff out there. there were, for all those great names that were mentioned there are a lot of folk there's some the Mark Jindrax mm. the Sean O'Hares of the world that looked like they had the tools to do something but didn't make it in the way that a Randy Orton and a John Cena did mm. uh, for some of the great angles that happened there's the Katie Vick angles <laughs> the greats <laughs> and in Raw that week there was lots of gimmick uh, in that era there was lots of gimmick matches to get you brought into them you've seen things happening all the time but for each one of those that didn't work you then got a Jeff Hardy and Undertaker ladder match which to this day still is spoke about so there was lots of stuff that, that happened in this era and some of it worked some of it didn't work but it was an era where WWE needed to do something different it was an era of opportunity though wasn't it because I don't think what you're saying about Jindrak and people like Rene Dupree or something like that is necessarily a criticism because these guys were given the same opportunities as the guys we were mentioning to do well like yeah. take you to 2006 Rob Van Dam was talking about how a lot of people on the internet, the smart marks, um, were criticising his title reign with the WWE title being cut short. And he's like, no, I'm the one who messed up. Yeah. And the company had enough people at that time who were hungry that they wanted to take my spot. And it eventually yeah. led to John Cena and Edge renewing the rivalry, having that great match at Unforgiven 2006 TLC, mm -hmm. uh, which ended with Edge being put through the table. I arguably one of the most iconic images of that era so I think this era is defined by guys seeing the power vacuum left at the top by Rock and Austin who we'll get into later on in the show yep. but once that once those two are taken out all of a sudden everyone is like I want that spot yeah absolutely I feel that like especially like there was a time that maybe it was kind of transitioning more to like kids watching so it wasn't like kind of it didn't kind of clear that kind of 
kind of like the barrier yet but more and more watching it say it's a bit more kind of relatable especially like with say like for example your tag team like crime time a lot of the kids were thinking oh look at these guys they're just like cutting about doing what they want a lot of kids probably went to school and started acting like that the same so there's a lot of that kind of they had there's that clear connection between characters and the audience that I, tell, I think they got a lot of fulfilling investment which probably went to the kind of reality era that was after that and whatnot. also we talk about we've talked a lot about men's wrestling tag team wrestling women's wrestling at this time we saw the sort of like seeds of like the true revolution with it because mm-hmm. in that attitude era you had people like Trish and Lita who were featured it wasn't to the ruthless aggression era that yeah. you saw them actually being given opportunity to do something in competitive matches you look at the women's um, the women's match at WrestleMania 22 Trish Stratus with Mickey James that a lot of people still talk about to this day and those guys were the true precursors to what we're seeing now in the sort of current generation yeah you know? Gary <laughs> Yeah, I'm reflecting back on some of the highlights and the bits of this era that stand out for me. You know, I'm a huge Ric Flair fan, and we've seen the the formation of Evolution yes. during this era. And I was watching the Ruthless Aggression program on the network recently, which is well worth uh, well worth a watch. And they're talking about that actually Batista space space was supposed to be Mark Drindrak in it. And they they actually filmed some uh, some vignettes with Jindrak in it, mm. and Triple H didn't want him part of the group on it. Um, but yeah, the formation of Evolution. There was quite a lot of stables, I think, when you think back in yeah. this era. It was, it was kind of near, near the end of it as well. It was a time when they were kind of a bit of like kind of reuniting. All the same, you also got like Degeneration X coming back near the end. Yeah. Not kind of like a spirit squad. They kind of. Maybe I can have a new older rivalry from that kind of old era, like mm-hmm. like going up against the system with McMahon and whatnot. Underrated stables as well. I loved King Booker's Court, you know, uh, JBL's cabinet, stuff like that. You know. Well, one of the things that was great about King Booker's Court is, you know, people complain about the King of the Ring gimmick, but Booker T took that and he really oh, made yeah, it. Dialed up. And William Regal and Finlay in that group, it just made sense and they made it work. And yeah. you see, and that's one of the other things to your earlier point, David, um, about people being given opportunities. You can be given a gimmick mm-hmm. and you can tr- work on it and try and get it over. I mean, one of the characters that Derek touched on from his era um, a million dollar man Teddy Biasi really owned that and done it but then there were other ones that weren't as exciting on paper but really stood the test of time yeah. IRS who'd have thought a yeah. wrestling tax man exactly. would have had the career that Hi. he did that's a very good point <laughs> no exactly yeah for me um, Ruthless Aggression was the year of just making big stars um, not just new stars that came in, mainly from Ohio Valley Wrestling, but also um, there were quite a few Attitude Era stars that I'm not going to lie, I didn't like, I'd like to say, oh, they can never be world champion, but I just never saw them as world champion. Mm. Like, I never thought, oh, they're going to get the championship at some point, but it made those things people like I would I would even include Edge well, Edge is a great show yeah <laughs> I would include Eddie Guerrero to an extent because yeah. obviously it was that's about the intercontinental the European title but I never like it's not saying that oh I, I never thought he would ever be it but he wasn't exactly Bradshaw look at Bradshaw yeah, exactly. was yeah, I think yeah, one half of the APA yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was going to yeah. be world champion at one yeah. point um, 
diabetes. Just, just people like that, and then, and what, but um, just yeah. people like that. I just never had at the top of my list that I thought they were going to be WWE champion or world heavyweight champion. Yeah. Quackers makes a really good point about the oh, the impact of the Ohio Valley wrestling people, and we must mention Brock Lesnar was part of one of those <laughs> classes. But one of the bits that WWE did at this time because we didn't have WCW so there was no competitor there they created their own brand split and we had Raw and Smackdown shows for the first time and I remember this being announced and I remember being really excited I was so excited about this we didn't have Sky in the house at the time so to watch Raw when it aired on a Friday night so this is like days later uh, to watch it I had to go to my mother-in-law's house <laughs> and we know how painful that was that was you. horrendous <laughs> you know there are you know I would take my chances with the coronavirus <laughs> than that woman um, I feel pretty safe I'm pretty sure she's not going to be listening to this show <laughs> as well <laughs> you know, I'd rather shit in my hands and clap than spend, it, and spend time with her um, but I was so excited about the roster split and the opportunities that created and yes there were high points and low points and I think when Bradshaw became the Smackdown champion it was a bit of a fallow period in there but WWE knew that they were going to have those times they knew that their business was going to go down but they had to do it because they had to build the next generation of stars and Bradshaw you know he's obviously been announced to go in the Hall of Fame earlier this week for all the things you can put on the negative column for him he really you know you know his work in that period he wanted to be a proper heel you talk about he did that said that in backstage you know he was like see these heels nowadays who yeah. are getting cheered not doing their jobs right and that was what Brad, that was the strength yeah. of Bradshaw so that, that era knew how to make you hate characters like especially JBL just came out with a limo and then you hear the kind of cowbell going and you're like yeah right here GR you know <laughs> Absolutely. But Quacker's point about Edge, I mean, Edge was, if you'd have said to me during the Attitude Era that Edge mm-hmm. is going to be one of the biggest stars, yeah. no, I wouldn't have had it. But then some of the stuff he did, he was he was a revelation when he got into that rated R character and when he was paired with Lita and they just took the Matt Hardy affair story, which everybody knew about, and dialed it up. The live sex celebration <laughs> on Raw when he night after he won the title. I say that there are a couple of negatives to this era as the era goes on, because there was a point where they had the opportunity to build more stars on top of your Cena's Batistas and stuff like that, and they never right. quite pulled the trigger. People like MVP who soon come back. People like Mr. Kennedy. People like Carlito. People like Chris Masters, who yeah. could have the potential to have been. Um, these top top stars and never were quite given that push to get there even the likes of Bobby Lashley and Umaga who were given the opportunity at WrestleMania 23 to be involved in a good match were put in the back burner to McMahon and Donald Trump you know yeah. rather than building them up as two stars in their own right you know like with, with Carlito his kind of his kind of last feud it was with John Cena then he took his break and came back and his first feud again was with John Cena so yeah. at the end he was just like fed to the dogs and he came back he's fed to the dogs straight away again mm. he's someone that could live up with that ankle because that's when like Cena got stabbed in a bar yeah that's even right. like, just everything about him Cena just got a guy who's wanted like bite an apple and just spit in yeah. your face that's someone you could just instantly put over as like, a top guy he was stabbed by someone called Jesus or Jesus yeah <laughs> imagine being stabbed by Jesus <laughs> 
was a set bad <laughs> proper bad <Woo>! yeah. <laughs> no confession stopping that one <laughs> Jeez, we spoke about the intercontinental title earlier on and at this point I think in this era there was a lot of guilty of the hot shot of the mm-hmm. titles and you see in Bradshaw's resume he was an 18 time hardcore champion <laughs> um, what? yeah <laughs> So the you know the belts went back and forth. I remember they would change almost on a weekly basis, and you had some of the uh, you know ch- champions at the time. It was like Prince Albert was the Intercontinental <laughs> Champion. Yeah. He, he's obviously doing a great job yeah, of coaching you know. NXT. <laughs> but he was a really good mid-card champion at this point. I always remember fondly uh, the Glamorella era where Santino and Beth Phoenix had teamed up you know and he had the honky meter and he was going to be the greatest intercontinental champion of all the times we haven't even spoken about his, his introduction in the kind of ruthless aggression it's probably yeah. one, of the, one of the best intros of like any kind of wrestler like ever just some guy I was like obviously it's not just some guy from a crowd but the way they build it in the kind of in his hometown in front of was like nearly like 40,000 odd people or something like that the venue yeah. had and he wins it in the contact on the, 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 the title <laughs> on his first night there was something there was, that was like pure magic it felt another kind of re- relatable in this moment to connect with the crowd that's one of the things that's <clears throat> changed somewhat since the ruthless aggression either for the better is folk would just turn up and have this generic Titantron part mm. whereas now there's much more character development that happens and when it's done right you know you get a little teaser that folk are coming Yeah. sometimes it works well like I, I, people have listened to the podcast might remember us when we talked about Sanity like introducing this uh, group that's Sanity but saying this group that caused chaos and don't follow by the rule are going to be here yeah. two weeks on Thursday <laughs> uh, that doesn't work the in that way the but there's so the many schedule. other ones <laughs> So, Jack, conclusion, why is this your favourite? I think it's just because that was the era that I first started watching wrestling and now is probably the time that I've got more invested in it. You've still got the kind of mainstay characters that are being built from there to now and seeing them probably do so well. I feel like I've grew up with their progression to where they are today, so is that kind of... I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just proud of some of the boys a wee bit. Maybe that's maybe why that's my favourite year. I can, I've seen them from when they were wee and now they're up there, <laughs> ruling the world. Yeah, good, good choice, mate, good choice. Good choice. So now we are going to go on to Gary, and your choice. Mm. So my choice is, d- dark is probably best described by saying, darkest is the night before the dawn. <laughs> this era is not held in high regards, but its importance should not be underestimated. We, uh, <coughs> as kids, we, ne- we never had Sky in the house until 1995 we got it installed, and then it's like, oh, wow, we could watch WWF again. And we'd had a sort of period of not watching uh, the product, I think it, most fans go through that, but we got this back. And the era that was in full swing by the time we got this was the next generation of the WWF, of the World Wrestling Federation. And at this point, business was down. We had the steroid scandal, which was in full swing. Uh, Hogan had left. Uh, costs were being cut across the board. You'd watch, uh, you know, multiple episodes of Raw were taped. So you were watching taped shows every week. There just wasn't. Uh, an atmosphere about it it was generally pretty poor 
But there were loads of important things that happened in this era. So the new generation of WWF is classified between 1993 and 1997 when the Attitude Era kicks off. So some of the important stuff that happened here is just to rhyme with some of them. So Raw debuted in January 1993. We saw a shift from some of the... Uh, to creating some new stars, some younger stars, some smaller stars in some cases as well. We had the introduction of monthly pay-per-views as well. In Your House <laughs> debuted in 19, May 1995. I'm going to tell, tell you the card for this. The main event for the WWF Championship was Diesel versus Psycho Sid with the million dollar man as his manager. Nice. Bret the Hitman Hart took on Hakushi. <laughs> and then later the night, because he beat Hakushi in the opening match of the show, got the right to wrestle Jerry the King Lawler. Razor Ramon wrestled in a handicap match against Jeff Jarrett and the Roadie. Owen Hart and Yokozuna uh, retained the tag team championships against the Smoking Guns. Oh, Such a weird tag team. Sorry, they weren't a tag team together. Yeah. yeah. One and Yokozuna. Yeah. Yokozuna, uh, managed by Mr. Fuji. I would not put that bus stop together. <laughs> <laughs> no. And this match lasted for 1 minute 47 seconds. It was Mabel. Oh, of course! Future of course. Of course. Versus Adam Bomb and the King of the Ring qualifier. Adam Bomb? Yeah. Did he call Adam Bomb, baby? <laughs> <laughs> he was ahead of his time. <laughs> so, that's uh, actually that's funny when you consider his gimmick as well. Uh, but, you know, when you look at you know some of the names in this show, you know future hall of hall of famers, future hall of famers, some people that won't be spoken of probably again. I doubt Hakushi's ever been mentioned in this <laughs> podcast. Probably will never be mentioned I'm again. Not gonna lie, I've never heard of it. He was actually quite good. Um, so some of the important things that happened, there was some highs in this period. I'll come on to the lows in a second of it because there's quite a few of them. We had some a real commitment from WWF to push some of the mid-carders. So Bret Hart was the leader of the new generation. He was the champion by this time. He won his first of his five world championships when he beat Ric Flair at the tail end of 1992. Shawn Michaels was clearly the star that they were building along the way here. There's some great feuds. Razor Moan and Shawn Michaels, which culminated in that ladder match. Bret Hart and Owen Hart yep. as well uh, arguably Quacko one of the greatest Wrestlemania openers nah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen the development of the Undertaker's character so he evolved from just being this creepy dude into so an extra creepy dude yeah <laughs> and a cool creepy dude uh, <laughs> and um, so uh, his character started getting embellished a little bit at this point uh, some of it was a bit gaga but some of it was good but this is when the Undertaker became like, the foundation of the WWF he was there all the time Yokozuna maybe not regarded as one of the greatest WWF champions but when you see that dude and you see him wrestle I mean, he could move, and he was a unit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we've seen some of these casts off from WCW being signed by WWF, and really 
you know, these hot guys had something to prove. They were hungry. They were determined to take their opportunity. Some of them, you may recognise the names. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mankind, uh, Diesel, Kevin Nash, and a guy called Triple H. Hunter Hearst Hounsley. The, the aristocrat from Greenwich, Connecticut, as well. There were a lot of laws from this era as well. So there were loads of gimmicks. So Derek mentioned one earlier on. Sorry. Does anybody remember the goon? No. <laughs> Is anybody like anybody able to guess what he was? Jack Graham. Hey. Uh, yeah. Come on. Uh, Come on now. He was an ice hockey player. Oh, of course. What about Manta? I've... His reputation precedes him. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Sounds like doesn't it? No, don't. Yeah. Don't bring up that again, please. Half man, half... Amazing. Horse, <laughs> no. Because the thing, Bruce Pritchard tells a funny story about this. Ma- nobody thought about Manta, so he came out with like this, basically a horse's head on, and he would walk to the ring and making sort of noises. But nobody ever thought about actually maybe we should check that this guy can actually get into the ring with his gear on because <laughs> he actually couldn't get through the ropes with the the helmet because his horns get getting caught in the ropes did a similar thing not happen with Vader at that, around that era he used to come out with like a pure mastodon helmet uh, on and they couldn't couldn't actually move in the thing <laughs> throws up there with the oh what was the guy that uh, from WCW that Shockmaster Shockmaster, Shockmaster. <laughs> <laughs> what about Duke the dumpster Drossy. He was Trash a garbage man. He was a garbage <laughs> man. Uh-huh. Dean Douglas. Oh, was he like an academic? Yeah, yeah. that's Shane Douglas, the future ECW champion, was like a the skill dean. teacher. He had a one-day yeah. IC title reign, I believe. Yeah, all these yeah. yeah. What? Uh, what about Henry or God- Godwin? He sounds like a preacher. Yeah. A he no, he was a, a he was a pig farmer. The Hogman, <laughs> and spell it. And his cousin, who came on board and they formed a tag team together, was Phidias I Godwin. So you had Hog and Pig. Jesus. The, the Godwins. They went on to be the tag team champions, and Phidias Godwin ended up becoming Midian, who was famous tag team partner of Viscera, and part of the Ministry of Darkness. Hello, all. Future naked man. <laughs> A uh, couple of other things just to mention here. Uh, the low points of the, the this era were stages in the arena. So in your house, when that started, they used to have like the stage was done up like a house. After a while, they stopped doing that, and every show had the same staging, which was generally like a, a circle. Mm. So there was no effort put into them. No, arenas. Uh, uh, no, uh, WrestleMania 12 was held in the Arrowhead Pond in California. Less than 19,000 people at it. So the idea now you've got Mania's getting 80,000 plus, you know, gone today. The style was a wee bit slower. It was very family friendly at this point with some of these characters. And I should say about some of the characters we mentioned, they clearly were not meant to be the world champions. They were supposed to be part of an ensemble, but they were never going to be world champions, some of these guys. There wasn't a failed attempt here to reboot the women's division with Alundra Blaze, but really you had Alundra Blaze and... Nicano, is it? Yeah. And nobody else, really. Yeah. So it sort of petered away. So those are some of the 
highs and lows of the new generation. The new generation, some of the positive, let's go back to some of the positive things. There was a lot of negative there, but let's go back to some of the positive <laughs> 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 Best wrestling years. Darkest is the day, what, is before the dawn, but this is important era. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about some of the guys that came in at that time? You mentioned four of them there. It was mm-hmm. Diesel, um, Stone Cold, Mankind, and Triple H. Triple H. Mankind, when he first came in, was creepy, terrifying, yeah, absolutely terrifying. The boiler room gimmicks he used to do, it was amazing. That's that was something <laughs> different. You could see where they were going with it, it was going towards a different era, but it was very good. Triple H was a bit different at that time. Well, you, but mankind, mankind. Uh, well, mankind helped make Triple H as well later on. The cage, uh, the, the feud they had in the steel cage match, they had in the big blue cage yeah. as well. Uh, but like Mankind, he, he was, I think he's probably the only wrestler that's ever had different entrance and exit music. Yeah. The theatre. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, Elias is different, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Good, well, he kind of sings on himself. Yeah, he just sings himself down. But the character and the commitment from Mick Foley to that character, because clearly, you know, he was not, Mick Foley was not excited about this gimmick. Mm. And Jim Ross tells the story that Vince says that they only signed him to break his heart. Because uh, Jim Ross had he was pushing for Mick Foley, and he had to learn what it was like to have somebody let you down. Was Austin in as Austin, or was he in as the ringmaster? The ringmaster. He was in as the ringmaster with DiBiase. Yeah. Was his nice. manager? Nice. So to think the idea that that time Steve Austin, Steve Williams was seen as a, a mechanic, you know, a safe pair of hands, somebody could come in and have good matches, but was never going to do much. Yeah. To it, so he was given the milk. The idea that Stone Cold Steve Austin needed a nip mouthpiece must sound yeah. bizarre to anybody that's, that's, that's not seen the first. I've heard them nowadays. And you've got to like, talk about as well wait, the sort of foreshadowing of the next era that we're going to talk about later as well. Character like Gold Dust popping up in this era where they're taking the risk, dipping the toes in potentially. Yeah. We're trying something different. I don't know, was the match between Gold Dust and Roddy Piper, the Hollywood back brawl, was that during this era? It was WrestleMania 12, and just yeah. before this one that caused WWF to get all sorts of complaints was at the Royal Rumble in 1996 when Gold Dust beat Razor Ramon for the Continental title. There was an episode of Raw before that where he unzips his his suit and he's got a razor tattoo of a love heart (laughs) on it and people were going crazy about it yeah I like that I like that stuff it was just the transition from the era Derek was talking about into the sort of like mega edgy stuff you're going to see like you're saying it's an important era to talk about yeah Mm -hmm. so guys in conclusion I was going to say why is this your favourite but you didn't sell it that well (laughs) (laughs) why is this an important aspect of the WWE era for you well it's an important one because it gave us Bret Hart it gave us Shawn Michaels it gave us Stone Cold Steve Austin it gave us Triple H it gave us Mankind it gave us McFoley it gave us Diesel these guys were fundamental to what the WWF WWE went on to do without the new generation these guys would have never got the chance and these are the people that you've know, strapped the rocket to and they grow on the business today that we see the, the germs of that started here the monthly pay-per-views Raw coming on air a different type of superstar it wasn't all Hulk Hogan body guys these were different characters with more layers to them 
as well and some of it didn't work but a lot of it did very important era in WWE WWF history definitely definitely so a good choice so guys on that we're going to take a break now um, we have a wee special promo for you um, with one of the man's that Gary was just talking about there, the ringmaster. No, I'm only kidding, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, and we'll be back soon, guys. Cheers. Hello, folks. I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Rewind as we look back on every head-to-head episode of Dowdef Raw and WCW Nitro. Find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed, available on all good podcasting sites. people over on that stage every single person over there has either bled sweat cried tears hell damn near crapped himself pissed himself riding up and down the road hell that's my damn family all these guys holding these cameras pulling them cables setting up the ring driving the trucks it's all family And I sit here and look at you guys. Y'all are family. And give me this camera right here. Everybody around the damn world is watching this show right now. Guess what? Y'all are part of the WWE family. So I'm thankful that I got a chance to come out here and celebrate this illustrious reunion. I came out early. I spent the day with the one and only Hulk Hogan. We did a podcast. We drank some beer. And then we ate sushi. I never hung out with that man a day in my life and I had a damn good time because of this reunion. Then, last night, I stayed up all night long listening to Ric Flair stories while I drank every damn beer in the bar. Thank you, nature boy. That's how happy we were to see each other. We're down, Mark Henry was down there, Boogeyman was down there, Godfather was down there, we kept it going. It's all about the brotherhood and the sisterhood and all the dues paid in this ring. And I'm thankful for the family reunion. So without any further ado, how about you guys come down here to the ring and let's drink a couple of cold ones and then while you're on your way, I'm a couple of, I want to post a toast right now to every single some in this arena. They hanging from the roof. It was a legit sellout. People tuned in around the world because it's Monday Night Raw. And when Stone Cold Steve Austin and the family has that Monday Night Raw, it's going to be a damn good time. And that's all I got to say about that. Give me some cold beer. I'm posting a toast to Tampa. I'm posting a toast to the United States of America. I'm posting a toast to the whole entire world. Everybody, thank you very much. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. What an incredible night here. 
Tampa, Florida for Monday Night Raw in the Raw Reunion. Hey, this is Quacko. And this is Sarah. Just a quick message to remind you that you should subscribe to our extra feed on Suplex Retweet Extra. Yeah, come and join us over at Alba Grout where we will be breaking down all Scottish wrestling and also giving our brave hearts of each month. Yes, for that and much more, make sure you're subscribed to Suplex Retweet Extra. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hi everyone, welcome back to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Um, we bit of the break there, that was um, Stone Cold Steve Austin leading the toast for the 25th anniversary of Raw, where he highlights a number of superstars that we've spoke about today. So I'm joined by Kwaku, David Campbell, Jack, Gary, as well as we're discussing the best eras of the last 30 years or so. And next up, we have Campbell's Choice. Yes. Now... It is actually very hard because I am a man who loves the present. I love what we're doing now and I like to embrace wrestling for what it is at the time instead of a lot of fans on the internet who just seem to just be unhappy with it a lot of the time. I'm like, why do you even watch wrestling? But anyway, that's by the by. <laughs> so what my choice is what I'm going to dub the network era. And like I said, like we've obviously had the Attitude Era as well defined of when that is Ruffles Aggression came out with their own sort of uh, series in the network. So the network era is kind of hard to define the sort of parameters, but... I am starting, it ends obviously right now, so it takes us, we're still in the network era in my opinion. I am going to argue that the network era starts the night that Dave Batista returns to WWE in the lead up to the Royal Rumble in 2014. Now, this was just at the dawn when they were launching the WWE network, but also coincides with NXT's transition with Neville as the champion from a product that was a failed reality show, like a byproduct of the ruthless aggression era and the negatives of that, into something that could become a third brand on its own and was gaining traction through Twitter and the internet. And the reason that it starts with this era is because for the first time in years, at the dawn of the network era, you have built a bona fide star and Daniel Bryan and the true symbolic passing of the torch between eras is when Daniel Bryan beats three stables of the ruthless aggression era Triple H Randy Orton and Dave Batista in the one night at WrestleMania 30 to become the WWE World Heavyweight Champion for me that's a good symbolic place for the network era's beginning now in the network era I've obviously had a lot of criticism of it throughout the years you hear it online Look at a lot of guys, you know, it's, it's just work rate wrestling, it's not bringing in ratings anymore, there are no true stars outside of the WWE itself, but there's three key areas where the network era has given us stuff that is different to any other era, and I would argue is better than any other era, and the first thing of that is, we've maybe only got four male true main eventers that have been born in this era, and The Shield and Daniel Bryan, that WWE have raised up on their own, however... The entire women's division hmm. has been elevated in the network era. You look at it starting, the story of it, with AJ Lee just leaving at the cusp of this era, but she really set off the bomb of what it was going to be. You have Paige in the main roster, you have the four horsewomen coming up from NXT, and it all cumulated at last year's WrestleMania when we eventually get the first ever women's main event, Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. 
And what's significant about that is not even the spots they're getting in the card, but for the first time since potentially Trish and Lita, the female superstars of WWE have permeated into the mainstream, with Ronda Rousey's arrival being very, very well publicised, with Becky and Charlotte on talk shows, with the Bella Twins doing probably every morning show the USA has to offer. You know what I mean? And that's what's been good about this, is that the main event is no longer considered to be something that's dominated by the male superstars. You talked about your era, Derek, back in the golden classic age of WWE. Oh, you had the the, main, the men's main belt, the Intercontinental title, the tag team titles main event, and now the women's championship and the women's division has been given that opportunity to shine, and they've shown that they can work at the same level and better than many of their male colleagues, which is a good thing. Now, the other thing I'm going to highlight is going to be a very divisive thing that I think has been improved in the network era, and that is the era of reality television. My. Mm. Think about this for a second. Total Divas and Total Bellas gets frowned upon by a lot of like pure wrestling fans as garbage and attracting the wrong type of fan. I would argue this, that Total Bellas and Total Divas has done more to get wrestling understood by a mainstream audience and put in front of a mainstream audience again than the likes of a technical classic down in some indie promotion ever will, which is you need to sort of factor in the difference of opinion between the mainstream and what permeates into the mainstream and what really makes WWE successful as a company and as an entity rather than what the trolls on Twitter want which is like the return to the blood and the guts of like the hardcore wrestling era. Total Bellas and Total Divas have made stars of the Bella Twins. They've made Natalia's cat get Instagram followers. (laughs) You know, they have done so much more. Miz and Mrs has been on there and also the reality stuff that we're able to see through the WWE Network. As an audience, we're no longer looking at these guys as just characters like when you watch a soap opera or we only know them as Ken Barlow and Deirdre Barlow. We don't only know Corey Graves as the commentator for Raw now. Now we know him as Carmela's boyfriend who's also a dog daddy um, as she calls it. You know, we're getting to know the wrestlers mm-hmm. and getting peeks behind the curtain in WWE that we would have never got to see before through the like shows like Ride Along and Legends House where we got to see all the legends live together. Um, and I know that your <laughs> your son is currently a fan of Gary on the network. You're getting all that good content. And the last major positive and improvement I want to mention is for the first time in WWE's history, it's been able to build a successful third brand and it's finally been able to rear the stars of the future through NXT. Now, the successful thing about NXT has not just been its work rate, but it's also a return to the gimmick wrestling and character wrestling that made the Golden Age and era so great. You have the Undisputed Era, who we know are the heels of the brand. We have the Velveteen Dream, who is a clear and defined character. We have Keith Lee, who's making himself a star as the confident and positive powerhouse on the show. It's and also is given us a look into what the future is going to be. I will put the network era and define it as an era of transition right now because this is the era of transition where we are going from the Vince-led WWE that I think ended at the ruthless aggression era at its peak of 
peak Vince McMahonism, where he's just out of control and doing what he wants, into what we're going to see when eventually son-in-law Triple H takes over with NXT. The network era for me is so exciting is because, yes, there have been criticisms that hasn't built as many big stars as possible. There's been an over-reliance on nostalgia, especially when it comes to big events like WrestleMania. However, you're seeing the seeds for what will be, in my opinion, the next huge boom period in wrestling after the network era is over. And it closely aligns it in my opinion with Gary and what he was talking about with the new generation era of WWE we are going to see business go down I actually think in the next couple of years for WWE but like you say Gary with the new generation era and the ruthless aggression era it's not necessarily a bad thing because it means we can rebuild out of that soil amazing Gary mm. you, you're a big NXT fan yes aren't you um, Lucy as well was um, until a massive Bailey heel turn uh, until <laughs> Bailey um, yeah. NXT is fairly important in your household now wouldn't you say so absolutely well just to pick up on what Campbell was saying it's actually WWE's got a third and a fourth brand mm-hmm. NXT UK is coming along if this is a transitional period for WWE yes I know their stock price has taken a bit of a tumble recently but the money in that company I don't think has ever been as profitable as it is yeah. now yeah. the money they're getting from uh, the USA Network and Fox 1.4 million <coughs> and 1.4 million subscribers on the WWE Network that's 14 million dollars a month yeah. they're getting from that that's uh, you know pretty pretty big business but yeah NXT the importance of NXT and so many of the things that David spoke about there so the women's division those stars on NXT that is one of the things I find hilarious when people say I hate WWE but I love NXT yeah. it's the same fucking thing <laughs> you know, it's all WWE um, one has slightly less Vince yeah. than the other um, but it's all WWE but all those stars in the women's division the people that helped take it on the pages uh, even Natalia went back to it went back to NXT when it was seen as a developmental territory Charlotte Bailey Becky they all came from NXT and one of the great things that we started to see was you know people being able to define their characters imagine if Mark Jindrak or Sean O'Hare could have done that yeah and people got to know who they were a little bit so when they came onto the main roster they were defined characters and parts of the audience knew who they were so the pops when somebody from NXT appears on the show now like when Adam Cole appeared on Smackdown recently yeah. uh, when everybody got stuck in Saudi <laughs> um, folk knew who he was yeah. you don't really get that now but it was like it was kind of throwback to the day when somebody from WCW was signed or somebody jumped from WWF you got that across but so important I was watching NXT the other day and I seen Tyler Bate who I'm a big fan of yeah. really? Uh, brand <laughs> uh, he wrestled A-Kid and like the the character development when you look at what he is now compared to mm. when he won the UK Championships it was night and day yeah and it's more strength and depth I feel with the characters now than even we got not to knock the ruthless aggression year against the same year I started watching but the promo skills of people I think have gotten better as oh, we've gotten to the network here you look at you've got the earnest promo in Daniel Bryan who you believe everything that he says you've got Alexa Bliss who's taken the mean girl's sort of archetype that we've seen mm-hmm. in female wrestlers before and just dialed it up to 12 by how witty and zany she's able to be on the mic you've got the era where 
where The Miz gave what I would argue to be the best promo of the last decade on Talking Smack against Daniel uh, Bryan. On the network. <laughs> yeah, it went, and I'm, you talk about a character who's benefited from this blend of kayfabe in real life. No one has benefited more from that than Mike The Miz Mizanin because he was able to take the criticisms of the internet and the criticisms of Daniel Bryan and the perception that they would have of them and mould it into this new side of his character where he's like, yeah, you can say that, but I've been here for the last 10 years and that you don't get that in a golden era. You don't get that in a ruthless aggression or new generation era. You get that when you're combining reality and kayfabe in the way that the network era has done perfectly, in my opinion. Um, for me, like, oh, I agree completely with everything you're saying. My site, the times where I get like down the most is I love nostalgia. I love it. But when it comes to nostalgia, basically beating on the people you want to build up, that's my issue. Yeah. Because when the network era is done and we move on to another era, there's no nostalgia, there's nobody being built up for nostalgia in the future. So, I'm holding up a sign that says Fiend right now for the listeners at home. So, you do get what I mean? Like, yep. when it becomes, uh, let's just call it the TikTok era when it comes in. <laughs> um, I don't know. The TikTok era when it comes in. Like, who, who was made in the network era right now? Do you think could be coming back as the nostalgia? Becky, Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha, Alexa, Roman Reigns. Yeah, it, like I say, it's mostly women for me, and it's I, women, and but that's that's a really good, good strength of the the women's division and the way they've been able to build up. I agree, the lack of male stars and the male stars have suffered because there wasn't as many female stars to bring back. You've yeah, only really had Trish and Lita. They're not suffering because of the women. No, like, no, no, they're not. But the men are suffering because there's more men to I bring never, back I for that year. I would say men are suffering, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> and I, I, I actually completely agree. And that's the major negative I have of this era. I want to take this airtime to talk briefly about Goldberg beating the fiend at the Saudi event Super Showdown I've been very very critical of that in the group chat for those that don't know obviously you're not accustomed to the Facebook Messenger my main thing has been exactly what Kwaku's saying 10 WrestleManias from now you cannot sell it on Bill Goldberg because he'll probably be in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you're building up real stars now however I believe in the next two years when the network era is closing out we'll be able to do that because I think that WWE and when Triple H takes over they're going to be more clicked on and you're able to build up more stars more quickly like that. You look at the guys that are just at the cusp of achieving that superstardom, your Ripley's, your Baszler's, your, your Keith Lee's, your Adam Cole's, those are the guys that I think you'll be able to bring back in 10 years because they'll probably still be competing. I think that's the thing, the kind of like the, the network here, as I see is more as kind of short-term pain for long-term gain, mm. as in like you've got these kind of stars now that's like folk that obviously with, with plans the original plan was going to be like John Cena versus Elias and then that's changed and Elias being put like kind of out of the park that wouldn't happen in a few years time because he probably he might have his own kind of maybe like an outer corner little title food or whatnot. but Elias and John Cena is not credible though for, for Wrestlemania you get it because of kind of like what's kind of happened like beforehand they've, they've kind of forgotten I mean, they need to do a lot of work to make yeah, it worthy of it I feel that like eh uh, the way they've kind of gone in the network era now is a lot of it is based on your reality TV. So folk are like watching it from like obviously you're at a legend's house and you've got the kind of the total dealers and you've got total bellas and you've got Miz and misses. And that's probably how the 
women have got to that point that they are able to do their own thing but because there is no kind of scope for men in that sense it's already kind of falling at Bonafide stars if you're missing your dial Brian they're able to be yeah. in that spot so that's probably the reliance of why they're needing to get folk back but it'll be to the point where they can grow away from that and maybe they'll be kind of less kind of blurring of kayfabe and reality just kind of fully ignores the fact that like wrestling isn't real yeah there's two, two points I wanted to pick up there one was to do with Goldberg and the Fiend I don't disagree with you David so don't freak out it sounds like you are <laughs> oh, I watched these two guys are the last show to get this we're not going to fall out we're going, we're going out for we're going out for some gin we're going out for some gin afterwards <laughs> uh, I watched this this match with my six year old son and he was going crazy when Goldberg won mm-hmm. he was loving every minute of it Goldberg will go out of Wrestlemania looking at the lights again uh, it's just unfortunate it looks like it's going to be Roman Reigns is the one that does it for him um, the other bit just to pick up on Jack's point is WWE Network done this amazing season there was only one of it Breaking Ground yeah. where it showed you at the Performance Centre and you've seen some of the people in it and it helps you get bought and invested into them male and female and um, if there was more of that, that would I think that would help with the reality Cut stuff as well. <laughs> and twi- the twenty fours, like I like it, the current stars, they're really getting over twenty fours. The Charlotte Flair versus Trish Stratus match at SummerSlam yeah. was made better because of Trish's twenty four. If you watched it, because you felt more invested in Trish's journey and that challenged some of the preconceptions of her. So if they, it's like you're saying, Gary, if they're able to do that and put the highlight on more stars, look at what Nigel McGuinness is yeah. at 24 did from you're invested in a commentator for goodness sake which hadn't happened for about 10 years prior you know well yeah exactly but back in the Attitude Era everybody loved JR and the King and if you wanted to get heat in the heel they went and picked on yeah, exactly. and the King if somebody beat up Michael Cole nobody gives a fuck they'd be cheering you know yeah. you'd be cheering you know, but, sorry to swear, di- but it's true. <laughs> the difference is in what NXT doing well if someone went and beat up Mauro, Nigel or Beth uh-huh. you get major nuclear heat you know mm-hmm. yep Absolutely. I think one of the things that's important that's that's really good about this era that you mentioned about NXT and stuff like that, the fact that NXT now is its own brand, it's not like a development anymore now. Mm. You know, these guys are there, they're staying there, massive characters, massive influences on the on the WWE as well, which is I think it's really important and really good to see. Yeah, definitely. And you need to put credit on Triple H for that. Yeah. Because they tried it in the ruthless aggression era with WWE CW that did not work yeah. because you didn't have strong leadership in a Heyman who was at the end of his tether with the constraints that Vince was putting on him and you didn't have the proper channels to get it out because no one was going to watch a third WWE show on mainstream cable television at that point mm-hmm. the reason NXT was allowed to get successful was because it was put on the internet put behind the paywall on the subscription service for fans to feel they were getting organically behind it and watching it grow so now when you eventually put it on the USA network you have that cult following who are going to follow them there and give them decent ratings even though they're up against uh, AEW you know who are their biggest competitors but right now the, the ratings stuff you, you touched on this earlier on David the, the ratings war between WWE and AEW I've said this in the show before is a red herring as far as I'm concerned yeah. if I was in America I probably would watch AEW live because I know I can switch off that and exactly, put on the yeah. WWE network mm-hmm. so three quarters of a million people give or take watch uh, NXT on the USA network 
1.4 million people subscribed to the network so <laughs> yeah. you know double that Do as, as I'm concerned and also who watches you know very, it's very rare that people watch live television these days everyone's just yeah. kind of watching like your YouTube highlights now and the thing you is download me, it you fast forward you're not getting your highlights until two days after so and if you're more inclined to watch that live mm-hmm. when you get the chance you yeah, can record definitely. it and then you've got the read fall back on and it's the non-traditional viewing habits that have came in during this era that have actually helped certain stars biggest one of all Braun Strowman who gets mm-hmm. got millions and millions of views when he tipped over that ambulance that you're able yeah. to put in a YouTube clip he wins the tag team titles at WrestleMania with a little boy you're able to put that in a YouTube clip gets millions of views like outside sources like covering it and able to watch mm-hmm. it it's not you're, that's what I'm saying you're trying to navigate these new waters in the network era and that's what's exciting about and it underrated too. underrated one in that kind of respect as well he's probably still he's never like kind of hit the heights of what people want to see with Zack Ryder he had his own kind of YouTube channel he was the star of it yeah. and obviously the 24-7 title I thought was perfect for the network era but for me the mistake they made was doing the same pointless videos over and over and the same thing every week rather than building it into an over the top story that you could do with the 24-7 title and have something like for people to get invested in you know what I mean that has been one of the biggest mistakes of this era for me is the 24-7 title but I digress we'll see what happens so Campbell in conclusion why is the network era so important the network era is so important because it is a new era in transition for WWE where they've managed to build up stars in areas that they didn't think traditionally they'd be able to build up before they've established a new brand that's for many people the hottest brand in wrestling and the wall between kayfabe and reality is slowly starting to crumble down and it's exciting opportunities that that opens up don't think any of us can disagree with that no nice one can I just for the hell of it go on then I disagree (laughs) (laughs) for the hell of it stick down your pipe and smoke it down (laughs) I like them apples not very much not very much yeah nice one I'm feeling brave today so that's all of us had had our picks on the best ones now pretty much arguably the most defined moment in WWE history we're going to have a we're going to have a good chat about now which is um, Monday Night Wars and also leading on to the Attitude Era as well from that um, Gary start with you Monday Night Wars let's go for that first you were talking about ratings there not that long ago between WWE, WWE and AEW <laughs> this was very similar but on a much larger scale oh it was it was an incredible time to be a wrestling fan and in our case in the UK we got the Monday Night Wars on a Friday night you would have Raw on Sky Sports and Nitro on Turner Classic Movies can I tell the story which used to happen with me and Gary when um, this was was happening Um, we didn't have it at that point I don't think we had Sky at that point for some reason. No, our dad went uh, uh, mood and took it off. Took it off. Um, <laughs> so, aye, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wore a black armband for about six months. Um, Father's so, <laughs> so what used to happen is my mate stayed across the road from us, so I had to go across and watch it and record it on a video, and then me and Gary would go back and watch it. Um, later on that night so that was that was our plan every Friday night I'd go over to my mate's house come back in Gary would come back maybe having a wee bit half bottle of cider down him and the days we'd sit and watch 
But the danger with then is it was live TV. You couldn't record it in the way you can now. You could pick a programme and record that. So the flicking back and forth was really difficult. You were going to miss one of them. So the danger with Raw then, so Raw was two hours. The roster was stacked. Every character had a story, regardless of how important and important, unimportant they were. Um, and you really couldn't miss a segment. Whereas now, you know, generally the first match in Raw goes over what three segments. Yeah. So you know uh, that you could fast forward a good 20 minutes of that back in the attitude era you dare not fast forward anything because <laughs> no. god knows what you would miss it was just start to stop pack full and the surprises that you would get who was going to appear where where were they going to jump what was going to happen next it was so unpredictable it was so exciting what was the most epic moment on um, WCW where um Bischoff announced that Foley was going to win the title on Raw and yeah. literally everybody who was watching WCW switched over yeah. and watched Foley win the title as well so yeah. they were obviously trying to get a one up and then it totally backfired on Don't them put bombs on seats. Yeah. yeah and yeah. They, they'd done that a lot because at the end of the new generation area Raw was on the new generation area Raw was recorded so they could easily have run through and they did that a lot they gave away the results because it was a pre-taped show and then when we got into this other year, it was so competitive that one show would try and beat the other one to commercial. Yeah. So, because they know then that like, if you went to commercial first, they would everybody would ch- turn the channel, and then when the other show went to commercial, they would all turn back. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's absolutely mental. Uh, I'll forget two fantastic products as well at the time. You know, WCW and NWO and things mm-hmm. like that as well, and then WWF with um, DX. Things like the two main stables in it, Jack. Oh, yeah, I think like obviously you had your like obviously your brilliant stables like DX and NW and whatnot, but I think the kind of the best thing about the Adrian and the Monday Night Wars is that both both companies exactly knew what demographic to appeal to. Yeah. There wasn't this point where it is now, it's when they've got to try and make wrestling available for everyone. They knew that their like kind of demographic was kinda of late teens, young twenties of guys that are just wanting to watch fighting, just the kind of the obscene kind of nature of things, so they knew exactly what wasn't they just had fighting to. they wanted to watch. Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> some brass and panties matches thrown in there or something. <laughs> but it was the kind of, it was that point they obviously they were getting the money in a plenty, but it was they knew exactly what to do to appeal to it. And that's what made it so exciting was that you knew that everything that happened you were going to be invested in. Yeah. It's interesting when you look back now because some of it doesn't stand the test of time. No But as a horny <laughs> teenager <laughs> it's right. hit the button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't like my exposure. Obviously, uh, my exposure to that arena is limited by my look back when I've went revisit in the past. But one of the things that always shocked me is what Gary was saying. Everyone was over. Everyone was over. Mm-hmm. You had too cool. The pay per views I watched, I got a couple back to back pay per views. Both of them were opened by too cool, who were absolutely mega, mega over with the crowd. Imagine if the same level of tag team in today's WWE yeah. uh, was able to get that kind of reaction. It would be massive because you're instantly making new stars, and I think that's the difference that that attitude era has, and what holds it so special to any other era was that everyone on the card everyone on the show was able to elicit some sort of reaction from the crowd in attendance and when you have that from beginning to end with everyone able to play their part as well and as well as they can be while still being competitive and wanting each other's slot that's what made the attitude era so special yeah as I've said in a a retro review before with uh, Ross that 
the Adjudi era got light heart entertainment so well mm. so you could have that kind of stress relief of maybe like something that was maybe a bit too intense in wrestling there was always they just knew exactly I was, I'll say again just they knew exactly how to appeal to the demographic at the yeah. time they knew exactly what the places of like certain matches in each card how to build the show properly how to get folk invested in the kind of length of time for matches pretty much anything they ever did at that point was kind of spot on so yeah. it's hard to argue against this being one of the best eras yeah. of wrestling the thing about the Monday Night Wars as well was how personal it was between Vince and Vince Russo as well and also Ted Turner as well in there Gary yeah and you've seen that that those personal stories came across in so many ways so yes we had the moments of Eric Bischoff calling Vince McMahon out for a fight on Nitro we've seen WWF appear at or DX appear at the Norfolk Dome I think it was or the, uh, the venue that WCW were running with the tank there was stuff like that going on but we've seen Vince McMahon become Mr McMahon after he screwed Bret Hart we had the Hart Film Nation who were a, an amazing heel stable I yep. think one of the best shows that you could go back and watch is in your house Canadian Stampede yep. uh, we, we had the rise of Stone Cold and the Stone Cold McMahon feud that classic um you know, people wanting to beat down their boss, you know, yeah. as, as somebody that manages a fairly large team that I know my staff would never resonate with that feeling of wanting uh, to never, beat down their boss. Never the perfect boss. Yeah, perfect uh, boss. Uh, uh-huh. there, there's so many parts of it that just, you know, those personal natures just turning the dial right up with some of these characters. And Bret Hart's work is the, the heel leading the Heart Foundation that was amazing but that's the thing you can point in this era there's more stories in this attitude era than there is in any other era of wrestling because it's like you say Bret Hart had his story with being a heel Naked Midian had a story about taking his clothes off you know what I mean everyone from the beginning had motivations for what we're doing we didn't have a Cedric Alexander coming out in Raw just for a match yeah. Oh, with no pride or purpose to it. I wrote yeah. down stories. You imagine something like Alistair Black. Yeah. How over would Alistair Black be in the Attitude Era? Yep. Because he calls it, at the moment he's been doing this, I'm going to have to pick a fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been asking to pick fights for a long time now, yeah. you know. It's on. not been explained well. Like, yeah. see if they did, Attitude Era storytelling would be, oh, here's this guy, and they would explain it as like, oh, he's like a video game character, and he yeah. needs to work his way up through the competitors to eventually reach the final boss. That's a cool story but they just have lost the ability I feel since the Attitude Era to be able to clearly and succinctly explain what everyone's motivations are and what is able to yeah. be going on with the story and he gets he's a much maligned character and rightly so in many ways but credit for that goes to Vince Russo yeah. for, for taking up some of this interest I remember I was hearing a story about uh, when Paul Heyman was the head writer of Smackdown mm. and pitching an angle for, for Nunzio to Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon going mental and people round about Heyman saying you know, why are you doing that well that's what happened in the Attitude Era you know people got behind you know there there'd have been characters that Vince wouldn't have cared about yeah. but Russo was able to do something with them yeah they were able to and that's that is what we say we keep harping on about it but it's the key difference and you had that is what got JR and King over in commentary because they were 
two anchors who were able to guide you through the ship of the Attitude Era yeah. and explain why everything was happening, why everything made sense, and constantly bringing your attention to the main event and what the story was there, keeping up with the McMahon family drama or whatever the story yeah. of the week was that week. Choppy, choppy, pee pee. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in. The Attitude Era also gave us two of the biggest wrestlers at the moment, the, well, pretty much ever, yeah. with the exception of maybe a few, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Two of the GOATs, two of the greatest yep. ever. As well, which is also very important to say, and the, the feud that they had as well during that as well, it was, you know, it was very synonymous with the time. And I know we've done shows on, on the, these guys uh, in the past, and there's so much you can say about them, but, you know, that... You know, having you look back at the Attitude Era shows, you know, if you didn't have a sign, you were out of place. They were raucous crowds. Everybody loved it, and the WWF had the finger on the pulse of the crowd at the time. So they were not buying Rocky Maya Via. So they 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 went with it, turned them in, into a heel, and I mean the rest is history. And that's also the thing that they haven't been able to do since is have their finger on the pulse of what that generation is about because it was around the MTV generation time where everything's changing and the way of consuming things and television was changing and aim at a younger demographic all round and that's the special thing that makes the Attitude Era the most successful era for WWE is that what Gary's saying they knew and what Jack was saying earlier about demographics, they knew what they were about, they knew who their target audience was, and that's why it all worked. It's something that's missing now as well, is that you can maybe even blame indie wrestling for a bit as well, is there's too too much focus on wrestling and not enough focus on the kind of entertainment side of it and the respect of like their character development and their stories and whatnot. It's more just put on a good show. There's not really something there for like the kind of audience to connect with, to kind of resonate with a character, which is definitely there when you're like, Every single person, the kind of attitude on the Monday Night Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, the WWE audience is an eclectic audience, and you need different things that appeal to them. And Goldberg winning may not be for you, but it will be for some other people. Let's not want to nuke the world when, you, when some of that happens. The problem with Goldberg is they wouldn't have done that in the attitude era because, for one, in the attitude era they just focused on the people that there at the time and it wasn't about nostalgia pops and also they would have made sure that Goldberg versus The Fiend uh, The Fiend had some semblance of a story behind it which it didn't so then the title win falls flat the title win with Mankind works because you had the story of Mankind being the ultimate underdog to The Rock and the corporation my point wasn't as much arguing for a Goldberg title win. Yeah. It was more <laughs> there where um, it's an eclectic audience and you have to cater to that eclectic audience. So there'll be some things in the show which isn't for you. Yeah. The pure wrestler, might, pure wrestling fan might not enjoy the, the entertainment aspect of it. But this is a broad church and we need to appeal to all that broad church. I could understand why some people would say, I mean, I love NXT takeovers. I, I could I get that somebody might say, Do you know what, that show doesn't do it for me it because it. it's really two and a half hours, three hours now of really good wrestling. Yeah. You don't really get the entertainment aspect to it quite as much. See, to pick up on the Goldberg point, I was downstairs to my horror watching a football game that you don't. 
and um, my nephew comes barreling down the stairs, both hands in the air, going, yes, Goldberg, six years old, and I'm like, you what? He, he won the bet, and he was like, yes, Goldberg's a champion, and my heart sunk, and he was just so happy about it. Don't you wish you could watch wrestling like that again? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just enjoy it for what yeah. it is. But there's certain things, your son, Ollie, sent me a video I was putting my daughter in bed and Ollie sent me a video of him cheating when Goldberg won yeah. Ollie's six years old and you know the, the, the pop for him that night was just incredible mm-hmm. so when I seen it I was like oh. I, I stopped watching that point I put my daughter in bed but I went and watched it straight away mm-hmm. I don't think though it has anything to do with age like I'm a film fan right and make films as well so I do sometimes will look at films and criticise them by ways of like technical stuff and all that the same way that we as wrestling pundits will do the same thing with wrestling but that is not our fault and wrestling should be at a quality where it's able to make us suspend our disbelief and invest in the story to be able to look by that the same way that a good film should be able to make me forget that I'm watching a movie you know what I mean when you look back at the Attitude Era and when you think of some of the stories now it is quite amazing that you were able to suspend your disbelief. <laughs> Some of this stuff was out there, uh, really out there. <laughs> I think that's the thing that makes it that makes it so good, though, is the fact that it was so out there. You know, it's something that we'd never seen before as wrestling fans, which made it exceptional to watch. You couldn't take your eyes off the product. Yeah. You, you could miss an episode of Raw you could especially I mean Raw's been good recently don't get me wrong you could definitely miss an episode of Smackdown and not be too far behind whereas if you missed an episode of Raw in the Attitude Era you had to to catch up (laughs) the good thing is they're incorporating elements of storytelling we would have seen in the Attitude Era again with the likes of Mandy and Otis there's a reason that's the most popular story on Smackdown right now because it feels like it's a good long term story again I think kind of a good way to kind of like symbolise this is that they were able to make wrestling in the kind of term cool yeah. but like, even like for them watching wrestling they kind of knew everything that was about to they knew what was happening it's maybe kind of blurring the lines of getting to kind of maybe not cool but folk are being more aware of it Yeah. but this was the point where this was the kind of the it thing to be watching and to be part of whereas that's kind of lost in a sense now and also it was the era that gave us two of the greatest characters in WWE history um, in our Lord and Saviour Linda McMahon and also the ministry version of Vista, arguably the greatest mm. iteration of that character I mean what a what a personality <laughs> Linda McMahon is she is just so charismatic and can sell a stunner and she's still got a mega pop whenever she came out <laughs> and, and that's that sounds that theme song day. which is straight from the classy era yeah classic Wrestlemania what a song yep I think uh, on that note, Campbell, I think that's that's pretty much end of the show now. <laughs> 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 we can't end the show with Linda McMahon and Vista. <laughs> and what could have been Campbell's last show? Maybe he's talking about finishing with Linda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always finish with Linda. <laughs> and her chainsaw. <laughs> Oh, that's certainly up there with a Campbell memory. Yeah, yeah. classic moment. Yeah. Classic up there moment. with Campbell's face turn when he cashed in on Scott McLeod. <laughs> the slur incident, the biggest face turn. I, when I say face I turn, I mean, face turn. Uh, that, that I was, mean that was that Campbell because you were a proper heel then, as far as I was concerned. And then <laughs> yeah. that is all face ever since. <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? Yeah. So, guys, 
good place to end I think guys just saying that that Ajudi is probably the most significant era in WWE mm-hmm. history and I think we've had a right good chat uh, talking about it some good stories some good laughing so nice. on that note I'd like to say thank you to Kwaku thank you thank you thank you David thank you so much Derek excellent being on the show with you as always good man good man cheers Jack thanks for having us on Derek cheers and thank you Gary you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> you're a bastard <laughs> Um, so guys we'll be back next week we are discussing death matches next week it's going to be hosted by um, Scott McLeod so that should be a really good exciting show coming up Um, and on that note we will see you next week ladies and gentlemen eat sleep suplex retweet now proudly presents suplex retweet extra Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now.